The theme of 1 Peter is a call to Christian people who are suffering. It's a call to them to stand firm in the faith. And the setting here is unique because Christian people are a minority in this culture. A minority. And he's encouraging them to stand fast in the faith, stand firm in the faith. Again, uh, Peter calls Christians exiles, one verse, chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 12. And that word exile, some translate as temporary, a temporary resident or a refugee or an immigrant. One pastor writes this. He says, the world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. And so the big question we've been looking at in the past and now today again is, how do we as Christians live in a culture where we find ourselves the minority? And even more so, what if we find ourselves to be a threat to the status quo? How are we then to live? Good question for Peter in his day, a very good question for us in our day. And so that's, again, part of the theme, the background. And so let's look a little bit at the outline, just backing up again. Chapter 113 through chapter 5, verse 11, we have a series of imperatives. Four chapters, starting chapter 1, verse 13, and on. It's interesting, in chapter 3, verse 12... We have the indicative before the imperative, Pastor Ryan's favorite little phrase. Would you agree? Yes. And so what is the indicative? The indicative here means, it's a simple, the indicative, a simple statement of fact, of fact, truth statements. Chapter, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 12, very important. What does Peter say to you and me? That we have experienced a new birth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we have been redeemed, verse 3, we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, verse 18. That we have been adopted into God's family, and that we have now received an inheritance that will never fade away. It's a done deal, verse 4. And so what is he saying to us? He's saying that this is our sure hope. This is our destiny. This is a done deal. In Christ, we are heaven-bound. That's our home. We might be still living here, but in Christ, we already know our destination. And amen to that? Amen. And that's, that's the, 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 the sure, positive position that we have in Christ. And so based on that new reality of who we are in Christ, he says now that you're a new believer in Christ, you've been adopted in this family, this then is how you should live that out. And that's what follows, verse 13, chapter 1, verse 13, all the way through chapter 5. Verse 13, prepare your minds, therefore, therefore, what's the therefore? Therefore is because we are in Christ, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Preparing your minds for action. Interesting phrase. Again, I'm in chapter 1, verse 13. Means to gird up your minds. Actually, in the Greek language, it literally means to gird up the loins Loins of your minds. It's an awkward phrase for us in English. 
But in the language of the first century, everyone would understand that terminology that those who are wearing long robes or or garments would, would take them in, hem them in, tie them up to be busy for a task at hand. Nothing was to get into the way of the work that one was supposed to do. And so that's what we have here. One would become very focused on the work on hand. The, the, the today's idiom would be idiom would be the roll up your sleeves. Oh, there's work to do. Let's be focused. Let's do it. And that's what that's what Peter is saying to the Christian people. Do you realize who you are now in Christ? Okay, now roll up your sleeves and get busy living the Christian life. Live it out. Live it out. The key phrase in verse or chapter 1, 15 and 16, is be holy, be holy in all your conduct. Why? Peter gives us the answer. Since it is written, you shall be holy, the Lord says, as I am holy. God himself says these words. Interesting. We're found, they're found in the Old Testament, Le- Leviticus chapter 11. We are to be holy, for God is holy. Now, in our city group a number of weeks back, we had a wonderful discussion on what that meant uh, to be holy. What, what, what's, can we mortal people be holy? What does Peter mean by this phrase? And so th- there's two thoughts here. One is the idea of holiness is to be separate, to be made separate. God's people are to sep- and be a separate people. Items in the Old Testament tabernacle and the temple were, were set aside as holy instruments for worship. But secondly, the word has a lot a, a deeper meaning. There's also a, an inward quality about the word. There's a moral quality about the word as well. We are to be morally perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. Perfect. We're to be righteous in heart and in deed. God, the third person of the Trinity, lives within us. In the Bible, the Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. He now lives in us. We're to act and live like Him. We can be holy. We can be holy. Now, not perfectly, of course, please. We understand that, obviously. But in Christ, we're being transformed, renewed, morphed into the very image of God. And that's what Peter's after here. And so, in your Bibles, chapter 1, verse 13, you actually could write on the side, how then, how then shall we live? Based on... 3 through 12, on the reality of being God's people. How then shall we live? Well, the answer is, as the redeemed in Christ, as the exiles and strangers in the land, as believers holy unto the Lord. In the context, in the context, in a culture, in a land where you find yourselves a minority, a subgroup, that's the grand theme of 1 Peter. Thank you for allowing me this introduction. (laughs) Now we'll go to our text. And this theme, now, how shall we live, or how how then shall we live, continues here in this text. There are, again, a number of imperatives. 
Humble yourself, verse 6. Be sober-minded, verse 8. Be watchful, verse 8. Resist him, verse 9. Stand firm in the faith, verse 12. Greet one another with a kiss of love, verse 13. How then shall we live as exiles in this land? Well, three lessons. Number one, with humility before God and before others. With humility, verse 5 and 6, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Clothe yourselves. That, that, that word means we serve each other. That's the meaning behind that little phrase. We, we, we are to put on aprons and we are to roll up our sleeves and we are to serve one another. We're servants. That's the idea there behind that phrase. The words humble and the words humility and the words be subject occur over and over again in First Peter. And when we think of that phrase, be subject, it means to submit or to be in submission. That's the idea. The, the word humble means, and quote, showing a modest estimate of one's own importance or not pretending to be important. I like that. One of, uh, interesting, one of my brothers in, in the DNA that, that I have in, during the week, he, he said this, that humility, humility is not, not really a, a, a virtue in our day. Think about it in our culture. Is humility really a virtue that we see or hear? Um, and, and, and it's a strong statement, but I, I, I believe it's true. When, when, we, when we think of, at least some, when we see some of our actors and actresses in Hollywood, when we, when we see some of the sports figures today, when we hear or see some of the politicians in our day, I mean, we just want to cry out and say, mercy me, where's the humility here? <laughs> where's the humility? Submission means to willingly yield to another. To willingly yield to another. It means individuals, and here, biblically here, choose to give of, of themselves, give of themselves for the well-being of others. We mentioned this too in the past. It's not a weakness, it's a strength. Individually, individuals willingly place themselves or willingly place the spotlight on someone else for their betterment or for the betterment of the church community, all for the glory of God. It's not about them. It's about the community. That's what Peter is saying. Clothe yourselves. Now, once again, we can think of Philippians 2 here verses 5 and following, where we read there Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, glory and honor with the Father, left behind the glory and honor, the the privilege, all the privileges of heaven, and became one of us. And he, he did so for our redemption, but he was willing to serve and be submissive for the benefit of others. And so he is our great example, and so we are now to serve like him, willingly serving others for their well-being. Again, Jesus is our model, and Jesus is our example. 
with the end game, of course, in all that we do for the glory of God. This, um, this, this thought here, I believe, no doubt, Peter had in mind when he was thinking of, of um, the foot-washing scene in the upper room with Jesus, John chapter 13. Remarkable, Jesus took off his robe and then washed his disciples' feet. And when he had finished washing their feet, he says this, verse 14, he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Some have called this the ministry of the towel. The ministry of the towel. I can't believe how often I've thought about this, of buying dozens upon dozens of towels and then draping them over the worship, the chairs here in the, in the worship center. New City Church, this is who we are. We're people of the towel. That's who we are. People of the towel. Now, serving will look differently for all of us because we're all different Again, the church is like the human body, and there's different parts in the human body. All have their own function and purpose. But together, they work together for the whole. They benefit the community. They benefit the church of Jesus Christ. All for the glory of God the Father. And so now, too, the words in verse 6, interesting enough, Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. These these words here, the mighty hand of God uh, exalting you, reference to Exodus chapter 15. And there we have the song of Moses and Miriam after God delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh through the Red Sea. And there in verse 6 we read these words, the song, Your right hand, Lord was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, scattered the enemy. God will always have the last say in victory. If not today, he will in the end. We can trust him. We can trust him with the big picture. His mighty hand will deliver and will save. So how then shall we live as as we're here yet in this land as a minority we live with humility but then also too in trusting in God alone in trusting in God alone trust trust verse 7 casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you it's interesting verse 7 really follows verse 6 they're connected the humble pray very interesting observation that I read one pastor say, and I read this past week. The humble, being humble, humble people pray. If God is our redemption, his strong hand redeemed us and deliver us, we, we, we go to him. If, if we see, if we see that, that God, him, God as a gracious, compassionate father, will run to him. It's like a child, child running to, to uh, her, her father with abandonment, with arms wide open, running into his arms. If, if we see God as the sovereign Lord who is majestic and who is very, very good, the song that we sang earlier, and very just, 
I mean, we'll find our rest in him. We'll find our rest in him. We will. No matter what will come our way, even if suffering comes our way, right here, 1 Peter, um, in this letter, we'll rest in him. We'll talk to Abba Father. We'll talk to Abba Father because we know that he is good no matter what the circumstances may be. And so this passage here sounds very familiar to Philippians 4, verse 6. Might want to circle that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, I really like what the NIV Study Bible has to say about this verse. On the word anxious, it writes this anxious, self centered, counterproductive worry, not legitimate cares and concerns for the spread of the gospel. Mercy, that's strong. What does anxious or anxiety mean? Self-centered, counterproductive worry. And it goes on to say this. It says, anxiety and prayer are two great opposing forces in Christian experience. And then on the word thanksgiving, it says this, the antidote to worry. The antidote to worry. Beautiful, beautiful. A sign of spiritual health and gratitude for the people of God is that Christians are thankful people. We're grateful people. At least we should be because of everything that God has done for us. Now, I'm so grateful that we can celebrate Thanksgiving Day. It fits so perfectly here. It's uh, when we think of Thanksgiving coming. But I'm really grateful that we can celebrate Thanksgiving Day this coming Uh, Thursday. Now, we know in our country, people give thanks for different reasons. We understand that. But we as Christians know why we can be thankful. We have a God. We have a God who's blessed us. We have a God who blessed us, our families. We have a God who has blessed our church, but our country, our nation. And we're not ashamed to say so. Now, I need to say this very clearly. We know in our history, (laughs) it, it, it was not perfect. Please understand that. We don't, you know, wrap our Bibles up in in the American flag. There's enough things about our past that are not perfect, not at all. But nevertheless, nevertheless, we're able to truly be thankful for the good that we do see. There are blessings in this country. And we can be uh, objective and say, thank you, Lord, for what I do see and for what I do have. I think the most important thing here is that we have to remember individually, family, church family, a nation, that we're blessed to be a blessing. I would love to hear that more often in the Church of Jesus Christ, but also in our country, that we're blessed to be a blessing. And so, if possible, If possible, this coming Thursday, when you're with perhaps your friends, families, gatherings, share with others three or five reasons why you're grateful to God. Humble people pray. Humble people pray. Thanksgiving is the antidote to worry. So then how shall we live? Well, trust in God alone also with humility, but then vigilance, number three. Let's not be naive about the working of the evil one. Verse 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Peter personifies the evil one here. He personifies him as a, interesting enough, a vicious lion on the prowl looking for prey. Now, what's interesting in Scripture, the Bible writers predict the evil one, the devil, also as a snake, Genesis 3, also as a dragon, Revelations chapter 12. In the Gospel of Matthew, Satan even tries to, to lure Jesus, the Son of God, into a trap. Other passages on the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4.4 The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God who is the image of God. Sometimes you wonder the unbelief that we see who really is the culprit. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Remarkable. Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Again, Ephesians 6, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How do we avoid the devil's grasp? How do we avoid his grasp. Number one, we acknowledge he does exist. That's very important. He is there. Let's not be fooled. Let's not be naive. Number two, we acknowledge he is our enemy and that he wants to devour us. I know baby cubs are really cute and fun to play with, but the nature of a cub and the nature of a lion is they are, they are who they are. And, and so I, I enjoy watching um, the Nature Channel, PBS, and I enjoy watching that program. But I have to confess, mercy, when, when a lion catches <laughs> his prey, it's not a beautiful picture. It's not a beautiful picture. And, and it's interesting that here, think of this. Peter is saying that's exactly what the evil one wants to do to you and me and to the church. Devour us destroy us. Again, we should not be naive about this. But we believe also, though, there's hope and there's victory. Peter says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, this advice echoes what James says in James 4, verse 7. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's a promise. He will flee from you. And so now number four, how do we avoid the devil's grasp? With encouragement. This one's an, kind of an interesting one here, what Peter mentions. Christians who suffer, verse 9, for Christ are not alone. Believers throughout the world uh, suffer the same. We're in this together. Verse 9, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There is solidarity, Peter is saying. There's solidarity in knowing this that gives comfort and encouragement to believers when they're suffering. This helps us avoid the selfish pity parties, the woe is me alone syndrome. So how do we resist the evil one? In faith. Faith always has an object. In faith, 
in faith, in the power, <laughs> the resurrected Christ. Faith in this Jesus who died but rose victoriously from the grave. Our faith is anchored in this Jesus who is the victor. Paul could say in Colossians 2, he says, On the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Death is swallowed up. In victory, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We resist the evil one in Christ the victor. Not in our own strength, but in Christ the victor. And so when temptations come our way, and they will and they do, I believe what we need to say in the power of the risen Jesus Christ Get behind me, Satan. I belong to Jesus. In Christ, the victor. In Christ, the victor. And then we run. (laughs) And then we run. Someone said, if you can see it, temptation. If you can see it, you can run from it. I love that little phrase. In conclusion, in conclusion here, what hope does Peter give? What hope does Peter give to Christians who suffer? And the answer is found in verse 10 and 11. He says this, And after you had suffered a little while, what nice little phrase there, a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal power in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. What is, Paul, what is Peter saying to this church? He's saying this, God will not forget you, has not forgotten you, and he will not forget you. You're his child. You're his child. If anyone is in the Father's hand, Jesus said, no one will be able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And so we may suffer a little while, but God will restore you, he's saying, in his time. In his time, if not in this life, in the life to come, but in his time. And so we can trust God with the big picture of life. But in the meantime, in the present, in the present, we're to live as God would want us to live. Be holy as I am holy. Roll up your sleeves and get busy doing God's work in the city. Do ministry. Love your neighbor. Be salt and light for the Lord Jesus Christ so that people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. And with Peter we can say, and I end with this, verse 5, verse 12, we end with these words. This is the true grace of God. It's a wonderful little phrase. Peter is summing up the whole letter, and he's saying, this is what I receive from the Lord, and this is what I pass on to you. This is the true grace of God. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, dear Lord, for your word. And we confess sometimes, Lord, that we we get caught up with the, the big picture stuff big, big questions about how it all will end. (laughs) 
and how this will work out and how that will work out. Lord, may we just trust you with the big picture. Because, Sovereign Lord, we know the mega theme of Scripture, and that is creation, the fall, the rescue, but also (laughs) the, the new heavens and the new earth. We know how it will end. The big picture, we trust you with the big picture. But in the meantime, as we're here in the present, help us to live out the gospel. How then shall we live now, in the here and now? And your word is clear. Peter has been very clear for us. And so, Lord, as we live as a minority in this culture, in this land, even here in America, as we live out this gospel message, oh, Father, may, may our conduct be so, may our words be so, that, that others will see us and give glory to you. May we not retreat. May we not hide. But may we truly be busy doing ministry in the city, being busy loving our neighbor, being busy with the very things that you want us to do to make an impact in the city for you, to work for you, to serve you. Again, Father, we trust you with the big picture. Help us just to live in the present, the here and now, to be faithful to what we do know. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for the new birth that you've given to us. Thank you for the inheritance that you've given us, kept in heaven for us. Mercy, Lord, uh, thank you and thank you. And forgive us, Lord, if we become anxious. Forgive us when we worry. Oh, Lord, may we just cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. You care for us. You know and see the bigger picture. We'll trust you. You care for us. You will not let us go. You will not forget us. You will keep us the palm of your hand. Oh, Lord, thank you again for the power of your spirit. Thank you again for just this wonderful opportunity to worship you, but also to live for you. We only do this an hour, an hour and a half a week together corporately but throughout the week this day throughout the week oh give us your spirit to be salt light for you to be your missionaries to be your people wherever you send us in this city to be salt and light for you that people will see our good works glorify you in your name we pray amen